as a leader or as a manager director or a chief exec or a director or anybody in a leadership position in a, a company, like you are a human being. Welcome to the Happy Workplace Project, the podcast that explores insights from insiders in how to develop a positive workplace culture. In this episode today, we meet Sam Evans, the Managing Director and Founder of the disruptive brand agency Gather Social. Sam shares with us insights into how his life experiences have influenced the culture at Gather Social. He talks about his relationship with mental health and how the COVID pandemic has helped change the direction of his business. Right, Sam, let's get into it then. What do we need to know about your background that will help inform our conversation today? Um, I would say, from a career perspective, um, I was the kid that went to the library when the internet first appeared and you had to get a ticket like at the meat counter in the supermarket to use the magic box uh, in the library, of which I just used to print my own work off and glue it in my book and get A's. <laughs> Swami is where I'm saying just believed in googling everything. Fantastic! So very much at the front end of a, a new wave of technology. Well, yeah, but like the it was the um, I don't know if everyone remembers, but you used to have to load a CD in, and it was the Britannia Encyclopedia of everything, and it had all the answers to all of your homework questions in there. Right. Just print it off and glue it in the book. <laughs> Tell us a bit more about where you are now and what your current focus is for the business. Um, the current focus for the business. Um, planning for recession essentially um, it's not to say that we're not like focused on growth or client acquisition but I think just with us being a young team here um, none of us have been through a recession before none of us have experienced the pitfalls the highs and lows of a recession um, so I'm le- leaning on my mentors to try and just work out what the best way to prepare the business for any sort of big shifts in the economy Businesses are going to go bust. We've already had someone go bust on us, uh, owing money. So, yeah, just preparing, really, um, as a company to get through the next 12 months. I guess with that in mind, it can be difficult for people inside the organisation to be able to filter through the information that they're seeing in the media and uh, other news sources. Um, how do you, therefore, apportion your energy as a leader at the moment? Um. It's, that's a difficult question to ask because it's very much... It, it, my portion of my energy is something that I'm working on myself personally right now. I, the best way to describe, I think, where I'm at with like my own energy is I'm 40 next year and I started the business when I was 30. I'm a very different human to the 30-year-old, to the 40-year-old. I'm actually fitter now than I was when I started the business, but definitely... Um, I'm so much more aware of fatigue and I'm so much more aware of like I want to do this for a long time and I need to put a process in place to make sure that that happens and what I mean by that is like as a business owner it's really easy to put all your energy into your business all of the time and when I started the business when I was 30 like 16 hour day no problems I can't do a 16 hour day anymore I can barely do a 12 hour day whereas 12 hour days were like bread and butter and now I'm like looking at how do I actually do what I do and do it between eight and six. Yeah. Okay. And like my yoga, my gym, and all cooking. I'm looking at bringing, I'm trying to bring back in all the things that I used to really, really enjoy and was actually good at before I had the company. That's more of a personal sort of 
battle that I have at the moment. So with that in mind, how do you demonstrate to the team what you stand for and almost show that vulnerability that you've just spoken about? I think uh, in terms of showing vulnerability uh, at work, I think it was kind of forced upon me when my uh, ex-partner left and she left me with the house and left me with everything. And um, it was probably the most difficult time uh, of my life. And you come to work and it dominates your thoughts. Um, and I realised very quickly that there was enough, too many people here for me to be like, showing that it wasn't affecting me at all because it was affecting me and it was much easier to sort of be vulnerable with everybody and tell everyone the truth let everyone know what was going on because what that's taught you is like you you don't people don't work for you they work with you and bad stuff happens to leaders like you can't just mask it up and it showed me that actually that I used work to prop me up and get me through it like I didn't let my work slip and it was more important than ever before so I think it's really taught me that actually if you show that vulnerability at work when somebody else is going through that same thing, you can empathise with them, but fully understand how important their job might be to them at that point. And they might not actually be performing that badly because they're literally suffering with heartbreak. And I can't tell you how bad that is. As a leader or as a manager director or a chief exec or a director or anybody in a leadership position in a company, like you are a human being and we are moving to a world where everything is personalised or humanised, whether that's through AI or the customer services that you're getting or the company that you're choosing to work with. And I think that it's really important to put that humanistic aspect into your leadership style because you actually need the people that work, I like to use the term work with you as opposed to for you. I prefer the term, like we all work together here. Like no one works for me. We work for the same company. We work with each other. And even if you're in the leadership position, there are going to be things that happen in your life where you are going to need emotional support from the people that work with you. And unless you can show that you are a human being and you can be vulnerable, it's difficult for someone to have any form of empathy with you. Yeah, 100%. Taking a forward view, long after Gather Social, how do you want to be remembered? Uh, Just kind. Simple as that. Simple as that, yeah, it's kind. Love it. You've developed a fantastic proposition at Gather Social and you have spent a decade building what you've got today. What are the sacrifices that you've made to achieve what you have done today? Initially, uh, car, phone, laptop, uh, your reputation, um, like how people look at you, they're like, oh, he's quit his amazing job, he's a daydreamer, like, stop getting invited to stuff, um, relationships, uh, relationships has been a big one. Um, and relationships are weird because they go in, they've gone in a multitude of directions for me. But the first port, port when I quit my job, uh, you know, you had all the people that were negative for you, or wouldn't do that if I was you, you're not me, like you are me. Like, oh, you can go back to work when it all goes wrong. That's a positive way to look at it. Um, through to like going through like the first, let's like look at it in terms of a half, because the business didn't do very well for the first half. Like, you had to be mad to keep going and doing it. Um, so, yeah, you know, like, put the jokes at dinner parties, you know, uh, sit partners, siblings looking down the nose at you. And then 
it flips, it then flips, and then it sort of became, oh, it's all right for you with your business. And in fact, the worst decision I've ever made in the, in the time I've been in this business was buying a Mercedes. It's the single worst decision I've ever made. Why is that? Because everyone thought I was rich. Interesting. And every, all my mates were like, all, all my friends, all like you, you net like they were, oh, he must be doing well, he's driving a Mercedes, blah, 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 blah. And then it goes from like them pitying you to like sort of, oh, it's all right for you because you do this and you do that and you don't have a boss. And, you, and you're like, have you just missed the last five years of my life? You've all been laughing at me. And like when you're thinking about sacrifice, I'd say the biggest sacrifice I made, like from a financial perspective, was when the business was really struggling and I wanted to buy a house, madness, I got my food for the week down to £2.56. For the whole week? For like, my lunches used to cost me £2.56. Wow. Beans on Monday, beans on Tuesday, beans on Wednesday, beans on Thursday. And on Friday, I used to have a sprinkling of cheese. <laughs> Tes Tesco value cheese, though. With that in mind, would you do it all again? Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. I decided to go and set up a business. <clears throat> it was the right time for me. I needed to do it. I, won't go anywhere. I wasn't going anywhere. My life was in a position where I, I could be risky at that point. I was living in a shit area with low bills it didn't really matter and uh, if it did go wrong i could just go back to work so now i won't go back and do it again let's talk a bit then about your relationship with well-being how do you protect and optimize it um i think as a leader i think it's different if you're if you're moving into a leadership position in a structured company I think it's a, I think it's different, and I think if you've set the business up where it's just you from the start, and then it's grown into something, you have to go and re-examine your well-being. Uh, and going back to heartbreak, really, the biggest thing that's happened to me about well-being was going back to yoga. Um, I literally was coming to work, holding myself together, going home, going to the shop, buying one, sometimes more than one bottles of wine. I'd sit and drinking it every night. I'd get through the door and I'd just collapse into the kitchen, basically. It would be like, I don't know, it would be six, seven o'clock. And I'd physically have to hold myself together all day at work and I'd go through and just drink at home. And it just sort of got to the point where I was like, I need to really go back to taking a bit more control of this. So went back to yoga, um, Committed a lot of time to my yoga practice, which led on to a lot of mindfulness, a bit more meditation, a lot of breath work, to the point now where uh, I've spoke to the team uh, just this week about, like, I, I haven't got the same level of energy. And actually, for my own health and my own longevity, my own life, I've got to focus on these things now. I've got to focus on gym, sleep, yoga, and I've got to try and work out how I'm going to do the same leadership role and the same drive to put the company forward, but nine till six, like normal amount of hours that a normal person should work. And I want to, re I've just started cooking again, for example, because I forgot how much I really loved cooking. Uh, walking, going for just simple things, like, you know, so it's really, really important, but um, you're ultimately responsible for it. So really when you feel that it's running away from you or there's, you know, you feel overwhelmed by something. You've got to take responsibility. And I think it's a bit easy to do as you get older. You sort of start to think to yourself, I'm not really thinking straight or that's a strange thought. And having things to cope with that is definitely 
a better way to lead you to being happier and having a better work-life balance. So what would you say is the greatest lesson you've learned so far? Uh, I would say that the greatest lesson that I've learned on my journey to this point is most people give up what they want for what they want now. Think long term. Yeah. Most people give up what they want for what they want now, yeah. Like it. And that's cars, clothes, things on credit. Uh, credit is you exchanging future time for something that's depreciating because you want it straight away. It's not the amount of money, it's the time that it's going to take you to earn that money to pay the credit back on the thing that's gone down in value by the time you pay it off. I mean, that's a madness when you think about it in that concept. Absolutely. What does your book collection say about you? Uh, my book collection says I'm dyslexic. <laughs> so does that mean it's a non-existent collection? Uh, my current book collection is a lot of cookbooks. I've currently got a lot of cookbooks at the minute. Uh, I've just sort of condensed that because there was I, there was a lot. So I've just condensed that into sort of more manageable cooking. Um, Stephen Bartlett's book, uh, Happy Sex Millionaires on the Coffee Table. Um, I actually probably am more of a podcast person due to the fact I find reading uh, difficult. And if you look through a podcast that I listen to, it's all mindfulness, wellfulness, how to treat people, how to get the best out of somebody by treating them with empathy, respect, etc., etc. So yeah, I spend a lot of the time listening to how just to be with people. So what advice would you give yourself at 20 years old if you look back? Um... Background is irrelevant, attitude is everything. I tell myself at 20 to not worry about how I talk, not worry about what clothes I'm wearing, stop wasting money on clothes, focus more on what's coming out of your mouth. And uh, if what you're saying isn't being appreciated by the people that you're around, it's a time to move on from those people, whether they be friends or jobs. And um, actually finding a place where you work that suits you and your lifestyle is far more important than the money that you're making. The money will follow. Get that bit right and the money will follow. Sticking on that theme of the future generations, what do you think we should be teaching the next generation in schools and universities at the moment? I think there's a lot of things that we should be teaching people at schools and universities. I think we're living in a credit society. I don't think anyone's got a clue how to manage money. I think if you went out into the street and stopped the average person and asked them how their credit card works, I don't think they would be able to tell you the real thing that they're actually paying off. So I think that they should teach credit management and um, from like five. I think that how to manage your finances should be taught from five. And I think we did that in 20 years time, the whole current, the state of the entire country would be in a different place if everyone stopped living off credit. I think that they should teach you the implications of mistakes and the implications of the mistakes that you'll make in your life on your mental health and how you recover from that and what processes and techniques that you should go off and learn. I think they should teach meditation, breath work, mindfulness, take a completely different approach to like what end happiness looks like and move away from like pounds and pence all the time. I don't, I, I don't think they teach anything like that at school, like one of the things that I've, like one of the big things I learned in my career was I swapped this really high paid corporate job where I was on footballers money and took a 65% pay cut and had more money and was happier with the pay cut, which changed my whole look, outlook on life because I was like, wow, 
that don't make sense. So what I mean by that is, is like, if you've got a job that's paying you £50,000 a year and you're dead happy, or £25,000 a year or £10,000 a year and you're dead happy, earning one hundred and fifty, two £250,000 a year and miserable is pointless. How far ahead do you plan in your life then? Um, at, right now, I'm sort of looking at the next five to ten years of my life, what I want from that. Um, obviously going through like a breakup in your late 30s with no kids, etc., throws a lot of things at you where you think, oh, wow, those things might not happen now, which is fine. You know, you, you, you deal with that. But I've definitely started to look more at like the next five, the next 10 years of my life. And that's things like, where do I want to live? Where do I want to work from? Where do I want to work from there for a bit? Like, what does that look like? I think uh, when it comes to like the business side of things, it's really about like trying to work with the people that are here now and work with them and make sure that what they want from work is provided and as the business grows to make sure that that keeps growing with them because that will provide. I suppose my, my ultimate goal is I'd love to have the business with people still here from for as long as possible and if I do have kids, that my kids could come and work here. And have you got an ultimate life goal? Move to Ether. <laughs> Move to Ether. Love it. I think my, like, like, my life goal is weird. Like when you start a business, right, you, you are motivated by money. No one can tell you that starts a business that they're not motivated by money. That's complete. You, you can't do it. It's not possible. You've got to be motivated by money. So I think, you, you know, it, it changes and it's more about sustainability now and like being... It's funny, came back a holiday this week and everyone said, oh, did you miss us? I'm just grateful to come back to a place that I like to come to work and I like the people at work here. So the fact that the business pays me to do that, I mean, I'm living the dream. I think one of your big strengths is that you're such a people person. So I'm really interested to understand how you, or where, what your starting point is when you started to define the culture at Gather Social. Um, I suppose it comes down into like different components of culture. Um, so like when you think about what the culture was like um, before lockdown, uh, before COVID, and when you think about like the changing circumstances um, in, you know, when you look at the cost of living and stuff like that, they look at what people are going through first and foremost. So we scrapped coming to work this year. We were like, look, pick your own hours. When you come in, I don't care. It's, it's harder to manage it than it is to just give you all the responsibility of it. And everyone kind of looked at me like, really? I was like, I literally do what you've got to do. And I said to them, look, you've got to pay to get to work. If you don't think that you need to come in today to do your job, that's me saying to you, you've got to spend 20 pound in fuel today to come to the office. Times that by a week, 200 pound, right? So if you're coming from afar, yeah. you can get people to save money, which means they're having a pay rise without you giving them more money by just understanding. So that's that aspect of it in terms of like choice which then leads into responsibility and taking responsibility for your own uh, your own workflow you also gain time because you're not commuting so there's there's that aspect of it which is like the, the cultural uh element around your day-to-day -day at work and then the other on the other side of that is like looking at like the soft things so we basically have a sort of an underlying rule here that our culture basically stems from don't be a twat <laughs> Like, that's like the New Zealand All Blacks don't you dickhead yeah don't be a twat like if you can progress when you start here by not being a twat 
everyone here will be able to work with you. So I know that sounds really wishy-washy, but that is generally like softish what we what we have as a like an approach to the basis of working here. And then I think I my sort of steer on um, how I look at things in terms of the people that work here. Like you get a really young, enthusiastic person that comes and applies for our roles, given it being social media. I think what I've tried to do um, with the development process here is look at where I felt I was stifled when I was their age in the roles which I was in. So I always did really well at work and was like the youngest sales manager, the youngest this, the youngest. Then you always overlook the stuff because of your age, which what which is what ultimately always led me to move on. And here we don't have that. It's like age is irrelevant. We can show you how to do anything. If you want to take the responsibility and go and do it, brilliant. Google's over there, which will also help you. It answers any question. It's cleverer than me. And, and that's really what we've what we've tried to put in, which means that people feel a sense of I have got responsibility and value and worth straight away when they enter work and there's no sort of wishy-washy grey area. Sounds that, fantastic. That what, 12 weeks. What's that meant for you as a business in terms of retention and customer experience? You've given you know uh, your employees a lot of this flexibility, power and freedom. How, how has that been paid back to you, I suppose? Um, it's, of course, a good question. In terms of how it's been paid back to you, you could see it within the morale of the people. Like, you know as well as I do, when you work somewhere where it polices you, you're constantly on a state of alert. Like, I remember Amy saying to me, she would used to get worried if there was traffic on the way to work and she might be a minute late. I said, that's not, that's, that's, that's my business. I'd be turning the car, I'm switch off to turn around and go home. It's just like, so it was about, looking at all the freedoms that I had as the managing director and working a way out to give that to everybody. I love that. I think one of the tensions with that is how do you therefore still get people to buy into the vision of the business? Yeah, I can see that. I think, you know what, you can't, you, you, you know what, There's you can't expect the same level of commitment from everybody. All you can do is judge somebody on what they do on a day-to-day basis do they execute their tasks fantastic do they buy into the culture yes or no actually that's down to them and that will determine their longevity within your within your business and that might change for them as they um evolve as a person uh, and evolve with their idea of what it is to come to work so i don't think you can force it on people but i think if you make it a place that is fun friendly to come you provide enough external activities and things to build morale as a team. I think it does pay off. I think it's a difficult one here because we went for a big, we've been for a big cultural shift where people left the company that were actually preventing other people rising up, so to speak. Uh, you're literally allowing other people to step up. And what that's actually done nearly a year later is we've gone, we've actually doubled the size of people that act, well, tripled the size of people that actually know what's going on. They know how to support yeah. the customers. They know what the answer to the customer is. They've got more responsibility for fixed customers. We've actually gone from like two people really managing every relationship to everybody managing the relationship. So for me personally, the, the, the payoff is everyone knows what's going off. And I went on holiday last week and had a holiday. Love that. So 
you are in a position where you've empowered people, you believe in flexibility, you've talked a bit about the vision. Um, what are the non-negotiable behaviours and principles that you've instilled into the teams to make sure that standards are consistently met and customer experience is achieved? Um, I don't know if I've done any of those things. I think the interview process is where you establish that stuff. So tell I'm, us a bit about your interview process. So our interview process is quite is quite unique, really, to us. So what we get you to do is we, we actually get you to do a set of application-based tasks, and that is to go on our website, read and understand who we are. You have to go through it all. You have to read the blog. You have to watch the videos. In the process of them doing that, we break not brainwash them, but they'll work out whether they want to work here or yeah. not through going through that whole process. So when you then ask them to do the task-based application, what you actually get sent is, can this person actually do the job in reality? And you look at the work and go, this person's design, written, whatever, whatever, is up to a standard where we would interview them. Then when you move to the interview, you already know this, so you're not even, you're not even bothered about that. You don't need to talk to them about what software do you use. You don't waste any of your interviews talking about things that, do you know this? Do you understand that? Do you know this about Google? You don't waste any of that. You're like, what's important to you? What do you want from work? What do you want out of life? So how do you use that to develop motivation in people when they are inside the business? Um, we just, we, it, when you go through our website, you know what you let yourself in for. Like, it's clear. It's clear what you're letting yourself in for. It's like, you are going to be thrown at the deep end. You're going to go from literally having no work experience to managing accounts within 12 weeks. So it's very, very, it's very transparent. And it's all reflected on our TikTok, our Instagram. Try to make it as transparent as possible because what we've found in the past is it's because it's social media, everybody wants to do it. And you literally think, get people that think it's about sitting in office firing nerve guns at each other. <laughs> this is one of the hardest jobs that you could wish to take on. It's so fast paced and so quick changing. I think I'm really getting the sense that there's a strong sense of psychological safety in the business. And that's by design, you know, from the angle of flexibility and giving people the empowerment to choose their direction, ways of operating. Because you talk to us a bit more about it. Yeah, I mean, but we come from a, I mean, we come from a, a time when I started work that you could not present to your boss and tell them that you were depressed. Like you, 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 you couldn't like you know. I had a challenge with my mental health when I was twenty four. Um, I got uh, PTSD for an accident that happened to me as a child, and as a twenty four year old man, I had no concept concept of what that actually meant to me as a person and what that how that was impacting my life. It actually drove me to drink, just like a lot of soldiers drove drove drugs to drink as a way of coping. So. It, you know, I had to go from, I had to go to work and say, I've got, pro I've got a problem. And how that was dealt with by work was how it was dealt with by work. And, I, and not having that ability to be able to communicate how you're feeling or problems that you've got or struggles that you may be having outside of work. And that, that was something that didn't, it didn't sit that well with me at the time. And it, it didn't dawn on me until I had my first employee. And I was like, wow. If this person has a problem, they're likely to talk to you about it. And obviously, I've got a background of going through therapy. Yeah. Um, and I truly believe big companies should have a psychologist and a psychiatrist if need to be on the books at work where you can send them an email and you can go and talk to them 
about a breakup, about what human beings have to do with so much stuff outside of work. I completely agree with that. High performing sports teams have sports psychologists do, yeah. to drive motivation and you know correct thinking patterns, etc. Where is it in business? And I'd always say like a, a way that I've looked at I've looked at therapy myself and my own my own recovery is that like PTSD is a new thing that we've discovered as it's a genuine thing that people struggle with. But if you go back to like when the first car was made, right, and somebody got in the first car and drove off cars, right, somebody was in the very first car crash that was fatal, right, and they had to go round to that person's mother's house and say to them, really sorry, son or daughter, we killed in this fatal car crash. That's the first time that's ever happened to somebody. There is no precedented for how that person will deal with that trauma. So a lot of the traumas that we experience as human beings now are like by our own design because they come from things like travel, plane crashes, rail crashes, which when you go back 150 years, those things weren't here. Our psychology hasn't developed as quickly as our ability to do things in our relationships. So it makes complete sense that you probably need an environment where you feel open to communicate how you're feeling or have access to people that can support you. Tell me, yeah, I was going to say, tell me a bit more about that because you've just been incredibly open book about the journey that you've been on. That screams of authenticity to me. How have you created a in, enough psychological safety for people to be authentic within the environment of Gather? I think a big problem that I had in 2021 with uh, T was... I didn't feel that they knew me enough. And I didn't know whether that was through a lack of presence or a lack of time to be able to speak to them. So I started to make more of an effort to like try and get to understand the team members that we had. And, uh, sadly, somebody felt that their nose was quite out of joint by me doing that. But that then started allowing me the opportunity to actually like understand what's going on in their lives and uh, build... A build a rapport with them enough that I would feel that they could come and talk to me if they had a problem outside of work um, and hopefully look at me as an adult who would be like if I was you I would do this or oh maybe you're feeling like that because of that and like just trying to just trying to help with the day-to-day is that affect the performance. So flipping that eyes on its head slightly what happens with people that don't live the values of the organisation? How do you deal with those? What are the consequences, if any? Um, it's a good question. They don't lack, like, we've, we've, the recruitment process that we've got, we've really whittled down for it to be about culture and your work ethic and what we're looking at. So we'd like to think the recruitment process has, has sorted that out. We let them go, you know. Like we we had we had someone that lasted two weeks recently, which is really really bad. But um, yeah, what it, it just wasn't right for him, and we did we had to let him go. It was as straightforward as that. And it was the culture that was not right for him in the sense that he thought we just all went. Well, he fell asleep one day when he was here. <laughs> so you see how you know. So we would have to let them go, just like any other business would do. We just have to be firm and fair. So Sam, what are the lessons that your business has learned from the events of recent years? I'm thinking of things like COVID and hashtag MeToo, uh, BLM, etc. I mean, when COVID struck and we had to make some crazy decisions in reality, um, we took, I took the philosophy that everyone was in trouble at that point. No one knew what was going to go on. We had 85% of our turnover was cancelled within a week 
um, instead of letting the contract go, I just told everyone that they needed us right now and cancelled the contract was crazy and we'd work for the next three months and three. Wow, how was that received? Amazingly well, yeah. as you could imagine. And we retained all but two customers. All but two all but two customers came back to nearly full invoicing within say, three months. And we went forward with the philosophy that kindness was a currency. And what we put out now in kindness, we would get back in droves. We made websites and free, we did all sorts of nothing. And the business grew. That's amazing. It's interesting, actually, because we've had similar-ish conversations inside our organisation. Thank goodness for COVID. Um, and the reason why is because it drove innovation within mm. our business. I'm interested to know whether there were new ways of working and ideas and technologies that you implemented as a result. I think the realisation that everything could pretty much be done on Zoom was a game changer in the sense that I'm going around doing Zoom again, first and foremost. Yeah. You're not spending any time in the car going anywhere so your meetings can go up actually driven in other balances that you have to work on because you know, zoom 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 fatigue but that singularly was possibly the biggest game changer for us and realizing that we could do that long term as in someone could never come to the office for a week and they said oh we do uh, our production meeting we have people on zoom but the production meeting like it's not even you don't have to even be at the weekly big meeting we could do it on zoom so it sounds really, really simplistic, but I think that was the biggest change for me personally. Like, everyone going to Zoom was like, this is brilliant. And where are it removes you, boundaries. Where, where are you now? If you've got some people in the office and some people working remotely, how does that work in a meeting dynamic, for example? Um, I mean, if the meeting's on Zoom, it's irrelevant. Uh, in-person meetings, if it's a client in-person meeting most people want to attend an in-client person meeting so we don't really have any issues yeah. with that and if we did just put on zoom right got it so because what i was thinking from our perspective is occasionally we have some people in the room some people signing in online um and it's taken a bit of practice for yeah. us to get a yeah i can see that, that actually works yeah. i just interested really same and I, same and i think um and what i try to do if that's it's my i'm in the zoom call and obviously I probably end up leading a lot of Zoom calls, is just make sure that the colleague that's on the Zoom call with you is fully included and their voice is heard. Yeah, responsibility of the leader then. That's it. Yeah. What's your opinion on that? What's your thoughts on that? Yeah. Have you got anything to add to that? So yeah. That helps improve their confidence and allows them to develop in that, in that um, space. It's really easy to be quiet on Zoom, isn't it? Totally. <laughs> It's really easy to just yeah. be passive on Zoom, which you see all these memes on the internet about. Uh, but that is our that is the meeting space of the future. I think if you look at some of the tech that's coming out, they're trying to make these a bit more personable meeting spaces, like, you know, with some of the products that are being released. But yeah, just making sure people as the leader, making sure you're making your team on that call included, be that customer or be that as a team meeting. Sam, we've reached the quick fire round, so we've got nine questions that we're going to fly through. Number one is, what's something that you've achieved that you're proud of? Uh, Donating my bone marrow and saving a young mum's life. Wow. How did you react to your greatest failure? Um, drank too much and threw myself into a new challenge. What's something you regret and what would you have done differently? Uh, I regret the way that I spoke to my dad in my early 20s. and Nothing I could have done differently about it at the time, but apologising made it much better.
What's the biggest challenge your business is facing right now? Um, the underlying negativity in the media making everybody feel shit. What do you like most about yourself? My kindness. What's the biggest area you have of personal development that you're working on? Organising myself. Tell us something that you're passionate about. Uh, Nottingham Forest. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Um, it's time to, pull your time to pull your big boy pants on. And to finish, what's one book or podcast that you'd recommend our viewers listen to? Uh, Diary of CEO. Brilliant. Sam, it's been great to talk to you today. Amazing. Thanks for all the insights and uh, good luck with the future. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. Remember to like, share and subscribe. See you next time.